to Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide, here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM, and streaming on the internet at interfaithtalkradio.com. We are here inviting you to share an expanding dialogue on interfaith understanding and the celebration of our shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church in Seattle. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle. And we are here each Monday from 5 to 6 in the afternoon. We invite you to join us in our deepening conversation. You can reach us while we're on the radio at 425-373-5527. 425-373-5527. And a toll-free number for Western Washington, a triple eight number, 888 298 5569. And we worry from time to time how we're doing on the air. Uh, for those of you who were with us last week, we were uh, mentioning that we had just finished our six months anniversary of being on the air. And we were talking with our engineer, um, Eric Ryder, who said that he could really help us feel good about how the radio show is um, going, and how many people are out there listening. So, Eric, what did you, you know, what, what kind of response? Well, I think uh, the best way to gauge response is maybe, you know, check in with the studio audience every now and again. People think they forget that we have a studio right, audience. Right, right. They think we're in a studio by ourselves. That's right. Of... But we do have a studio audience. And uh, why don't we just go ahead and say hello to everybody in the studio audience tonight. How you doing? <laughs> Well, now we feel good, and um, Eric also tells me that he's got some laugh tracks, so you never know when during the show um, we'll be able to share some laughs. Hopefully it'll be when you say something funny. But if Ted says something funny, we'll get the laugh track so you'll know it was funny. <laughs> we are continuing tonight our dialogue, which we began last week, uh, looking at the nature of violence, violent thinking, violent behavior, the nature of how, where violence comes from and how we are to deal with it. Obviously, in each of our traditions, there are teachings talking about the pursuit of peace and the value of that pursuit. And in each of our traditions, there are many, many, many examples of the very kind of violent behavior that the teachings are speaking to. If it, I suppose if it wasn't for that violent behavior, there wouldn't need to be so many teachings about the value of peace. So you're saying, God forbid, if violence ever ceases, there's no more violence. What would we do, you're saying, ourselves and therapists out listen, of business? Listen, there is something in religious tradition, in Jewish tradition, there is 
uh, notion that when Messiah comes, uh -huh. you won't need religion anymore. I mean, why would you need? You wouldn't need to keep the commandments. You wouldn't need to... The whole thing is transformed. So what gets set up is, in fact, an institutional drag uh -huh. holding back the coming of Messiah because we don't want to lose our jobs. Because of our vested interests. Well, Absolutely. a lot of people, a lot of institutions. Can you imagine how many? We can be a country music band, though. I mean, we've always no, okay. got a second vocation. <laughs> right. so, so, so thanks let's to, try to Don and his, and his yeah. guitar, Don is still threatening to teach me and Jamal how to sing in harmony right. uh, with uh, Goodnight Irene. Amen. And we will work on that. We have in the studio with us, and this is the second time he's been, he's joined us on Interfaith Talk Radio, Ari Cowan, aside being, uh, from being a friend and uh, extremely valuable part of our community, Ari is the founder and president of Edvita Institute and his violence integrative prevention and restoration, it's called a PAR model, forms the foundation for Edvita's violence response materials and programs. What makes Ari particularly fascinating to talk to and to be with is not only his far-ranging intellectual capacities and his remarkable ability to vision what is not yet apparent to most of us but his ability to have created a model for dealing with violent folks which has proven um, through use to make a real difference and obviously each of us in our own ways is struggling to take our spiritual teachings and allow them to flow and flower in compassionate and peaceful action in the world and Ari has done that so he becomes teacher for us as well as God for us. So Ari, welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. It's good to be back. And um, why don't we start with, if you, if you could be asked any question, um, if you were sitting where I'm sitting right now or where Don or Jamal are sitting, what question would you like to s start answering? Oh, right. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many. I should probably choose one that I've got something of a response to. It's the, uh, gee, I have no idea whatsoever the answer to that question. I think probably a, a good question to um, start with, and we talked a little bit before uh, we went on the air uh, or alluded to, was uh, are we naturally violent? And, of course, my belief is absolutely not that it in fact is an aberration. People sometimes say, aren't I, ask me if I'm surprised at how much violence there is, and I'm always surprised at how little, given what happens to human beings. And uh, we certainly have the uh, capacity for violence, we've certainly demonstrated that, but uh, if we take a step back and look at what has happened over history, um, certainly the 20th century was the most violent century in history, but a lot of that was due to technology. We had the technology to inflict uh, a large amount of violence. Uh, one of the 
things we can do is look at where violence occurs. But another interesting thing, uh, if you take a public health sort of stance and looking at the whole thing, is uh, where is it not occurring and why? And uh, that fascinates me. It, it fascinates me a lot. So what is the answer to that question? Where is it not occurring? I mean, well... Uh, take, take a step back, and, and uh, we, we hear criticism of the United States, much of which is, in my estimation, probably justified uh, about our aggression and so on and our forays into Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, there's, there are arguments for both sides. What is significantly absent is the realization that for uh, the first time, really, in history that in the 20th century and into this century uh, where uh, a nation had the capacity to uh, inflict incredible amount of damage because it had the resources to do that that it restrained itself nobody's talked about a nuclear strike against either Iraq or Afghanistan we certainly could repurpose our Minuteman missiles for those and just turn the whole thing into a radioactive wasteland. We have that capacity. In centuries before, when uh, warring parties went at each other, they went at each other with everything. And so I find it fascinating that it, it's, it, it doesn't come up, I think, because it's unthinkable. Well, that's interesting. How did it get to become unthinkable? What is uh, eroding this idea of the need for power and control such that you throw everything against your enemies and and uh, totally annihilate them. So uh, that that's an example of having the capacity to inflict injury and not inflicting injury. The other part is that if you look back in history, the geographic area in which um, in which people went to war in in Greece, for example. Uh, they had all the city-states, and they were all fighting with each other. We have countries like the United States, which are just huge, or Canada, and we're not at war with Tacoma, for example. There, I, I have some friends that are advocating uh, some war with Tacoma, but they, they're strange people. But we don't, or the people in Wyoming, or the people in New Jersey. And so when we begin to change our language and how we think about what constitutes us and what constitutes them. And it's interesting to watch the patterns uh, being inclusive and so on. And as we, as we build more understanding about what violence is, and which is a thing that I've been interested in, what, what is it really? I don't think violence is a problem. I think it's power and control. So I think we're making real progress. Okay. I, I appreciate that. And all of us seem to be ready to ask some questions yes. about the material that you are talking about. We're about to take a break. Um, you'll notice um, that there are messages from our sponsors. We are looking for some more sponsors, so if you'd like to have your message represented on our show and support the continuation of this dialogue, please contact us at interfaithtalkradio.com. And here are the sponsors for this evening. We'll be right back. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't seem to get over this. Change results in loss. With death in the family, divorce, or major illness, there's going to be grief. 
When you're feeling overwhelmed or like you just can't get through it alone, you can heal through grief counseling. You can call Sybil Lundy at Whole Life Counseling. For nearly 10 years, Whole Life Counseling has been a safe place to come to peace with life changes. Call 206-683-1561 or see my website at wholelifedesigns.com. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206-524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to discover what's preventing you or your business from obtaining your goals, dreams, and vision. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACES. Authenticity, choices, empowerment, and success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute, Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success. Do you know you have power to create what you want in your life and in business? You do. This message will self-absorb in five seconds. call us toll-free at 1-866-461-6463. The United Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index.php. We wish you blessings for your life. Are you ready for the 12-minute Simone's Own Miracle? Transform any self-defeating internal images into spectacular masterpieces of happiness and success in only 12 minutes. The Simone Zone is a revolutionary empowerment technique that uses cutting-edge audio-visual technology. Get ready to shift negative energy and change it to positive energy now. Visit thesimonezone.com and try this free technique. That's thesimonezone.com. Spread the word. You don't have to settle for the usual talk radio. Now there's Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back. This is Interfaith Talk Radio on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. We're here every Monday, 5 to 6 in the afternoon. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ. And we're here today with Ari Cowan, uh, founder founder and president of Edvita, who has done significant work on the nature of violence and how to reprogram 
uh, responses between human beings. And we've been talking about whether violence is natural or not. And um, we, those of you who've been with us, we, we ended the last segment with that. During the intermission, things got a little heated in here, and um, we actually started hitting each other. And Brother Ted's kippah fell off. My, and... And Don's guitar also <laughs> fell off also. He couldn't <laughs> sing anymore. Those sounds were recorded uh, during the intermission, during the break. I thought he was going to do a laugh track, but there you go. I did do the laugh track, by the way. But oh, I missed it? You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, yeah. folks. Okay. okay, so for those of you who are listening, we'll do another laugh track next week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Naturally violent or not. You, you, yeah. So the issue, we, we all had some questions we wanted to probe a little bit, Ari, having to do with what leads you to suspect that human beings don't have a natural capacity for violence, just as people have a natural capacity for compassionate behavior. Well, I think they have a capacity for it. I think they have the capacity to be violent. I don't think that's their natural way to be violent, I think if you really take a look at what human beings are, uh, their natural tendency is to be cooperative. Uh, and part of that is, is because we're such a, an odd species. Um, if you really look at human beings, you could conclude that we're pathetic in that we're slow, squirrels outrun us. We have no upper body strength to swing into the trees to protect ourselves. We have to wear artificial skin. Uh, we don't stink enough to keep anything away. We have no quills. <laughs> uh, our bite is, uh, you know, there are cats, house cats that are more terrifying than we are. Where we've made our headway is in... Uh, the use of the opposable thumb and uh, the uh, development of the brain and our socialization. We're highly, highly cooperative uh, in, in our natural state. Now, there are things that can happen where we have the experience of powerlessness, and one of the unhealthy strategies we have for powerlessness is violence. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the choices that, that, that we can make. And we're learning more and more about what goes on in the brain that um, uh, is important in our uh, cooperation in our connecting to one another, attachment theory and so forth. But I think in our natural state, uh, it's not like we're not naturally predisposed uh, as human beings. It's a central uh, human um, characteristic to have head colds. Mm -hmm. uh, we just yeah. have them. Question, uh, question for you, Ari. Uh, would you also not say that this depends so much on our environment, how we are brought up? But what I really wanted to say is uh, primarily dependent on the work we are doing or not doing on ourselves. So if I look into scriptures, for example, if I just make a small comment, something we mentioned last time. In the Quran, it says that the human being is originally fitra, very, very good, uh, but is also capable of the lowest sin and folly. Uh, we are primarily very good, but we have in our hearts, every human being, what is called in the Quran, a, a slinking whisperer. It's out of a divine design. And the Quran goes very deep into the fact that we have this nafs or the little self in three stages. And the first stage, it says, is a... No, given the fact that you are primordially noble, but there's still this nafs in you that inclines towards wrongdoing sometimes. And you have to 
work on that, master that. Gather these scattered fragments of your ego and go beyond that. You move to the next stage, which is about learning to make choices. The last one is being at peace. So besides the fact that what is happening or what it looks like, is it not true that a large part of this is dependent on is if it's me, that is Jamal doing the work of continuously being aware of oneself and the inner work which can be described in many, many ways? I think, I think it's really important uh, what you're talking about. The, and, and it has to do with what it is to be a human and to develop, just like the development of where you learn language or you learn to walk. And it is that self-awareness and that, that uh, internal progression of development which we're set up for we're set up to do if that gets interrupted or if there are um, mitigating circumstances such as uh, trauma or failure to attach correctly or uh, a myriad of other things that can interrupt that natural process hmm. but it's when, when people when people tell me they'll say well such and such was a is a serial killer mm -hmm. and I say well I've been to nurseries and I haven't seen any serial killers or mass murder uh, serial killers are mass murders uh, or or child abductors or anything else so if they're not that way in that state there what happens to them such that this goes on and it is the understanding uh, of what happens to them is actually asking that question and we we do hit challenges in our lives we do hit uh, times of powerlessness and so forth and that's where things like like our faith can be so good for us because it helps there have been those that have gone before us that have uh, really been with some of these challenges and can give us guidance of how to navigate those turbulent waters and um, so I, I think that our natural state is to navigate those, mm -hmm. and there are conditions under which is, uh, that, that in our ignorance or our superstition, we don't, and we get into trouble. So our uh, need for uh, authentic community is also very important. Yeah, we're built for that, I think. And I think another, in Christian scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount, the most challenging text, but the one that points the most directly to the need for community is the love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, where Jesus is not talking about having the kind of um, loving affection for everybody. We can't do that, but we can respect the essential dignity of the other and in that help to create that kind of what becomes a loving community that then permits us to cope with the things that would ordinarily cause us to be violent in different ways, either through nonviolent resistance or the kind of loving support that we need that will support the ego that gets defensive and lashes out and crosses over that that line and so forth. I mean, any any consciousness where we are making choices forces us to think of ourselves as distinct from the other. But the text in the Sermon on the Mount is done in the context of the assumption that we are all part of the one. And that's an important lesson, I think. And, and uh, for me, of course, the, uh, having worked in and, and working in the public health field is, is uh, speculation's interesting. Show me the results. And part of it is is the, um, the approach that we've taken with the PAR model. Uh, we now have evidence that it strongly suggests that uh, uh, we may be right in assuming that human beings, um, when they're given the tools or when that that uh, way of framing reality uh, changes, they change. They're very highly social. Uh, 
uh, when we did um, the uh, demonstration project at the Clown Bay Correction Center here in Washington State, a level five maximum security prison where only 300 of the 900 offenders went through the program, but they got the reductions among all 900. Uh, there, Don's your, your answer yeah, to community. Yeah, yeah. Something was going on because 600 of the people did not show up and yet were affected. What happened is there was enough going on in that community, if you will, that uh, <laughs> things were very positive and changed. The, you know, my thinking about the naturalness of violent behavior and uh, the naturalness, naturalness of compassionate behavior, I certainly wouldn't say that we aren't uh, more fulfilled as human beings when we are able to connect lovingly to each other and to our environment. Uh, I, would, I would submit that our own identity flowers best when we are serving and when we are supporting and when we are taking care of and being taken care of. In uh, rabbinic psychology, there is the notion that there is the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Hara. There are two inclinations in every human being. There's the inclination for good and the inclination for evil. And it's not that the inclination for evil controls us automatically, but it's there so that at those moments when we lose consciousness, you know, when we get stuck in the separateness and in the fragmentation, in the coveting, in the wanting that which is not ours, I mean, in the what you would call powerlessness, in a way, violence is a natural expression of those energies. Um, and the Yetzer Hara, the inclination to evil, the rabbis say, were it not for that, no buildings would be built, no institutions would be created. You know, that, that very energy needs to be channeled so that it doesn't destroy us as individuals or as communities, but helps us build. We are uh, going to take a break. And um, Ari is just chomping at the bit to um, respond to what I just said. And so we'll keep silence during the break now and listen to our sponsors. And we'll be right back. people who come to a unity church feel like they've come home we invite you to one of the many great puget sound unity churches in bellevue edgewood kent linwood seattle or woodenville for links to these unity churches and others visit unity.org we welcome you to join us at unity of woodenville visit unityofwoodenville.org Dirk Pipkin joins the Dr. Pat Show, introducing his new documentary, Nobelity, combining the insights of nine distinguished Nobel laureates. This documentary features conversations with these laureates and gives their insight into the world's most pressing problems and possible solutions. Powerfully motivating, Pipkin's journey across the world reveals how one person can change the world, and every person has the opportunity to do so. For more information, please visit nobelitythemovie.com 
or call 1-800-424-2593. NLP Time Empowerment Techniques and Hypnosis are innovative approaches to understanding and directing the human experience. Join the Empowerment Partnership for the Accelerated NLP Practitioner Training in Seattle, Washington, October 7th through 13th. We will guide you in mastering these new technologies for your personal benefit and teach you how you can assist others in producing the changes for themselves. Enroll now. Don't miss out on this great opportunity. Visit NLP.com or call us at 800-800-MIND. Mention the Dr. Pat Show when you call. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basile will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crustbusting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. Write it down, shout it loud. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Now, wasn't that fun? <laughs> That's the laughter part. Okay, so we, we were just wondering whether we were back from break, and um, here we are. We are. So for those of you who um, are kind of finding your way around the radio dial and wonder what could you possibly have just tuned in on, this is Interfaith Talk Radio. We are expanding an interfaith dialogue and celebrating a shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor, and we are with you every Monday afternoon from 5 to 6 on KKNW 1150 AM. We are also reachable while we're on the air at 425-373-5527 in the event that anything we discuss raises issues that you would like to uh, weigh in on or ask a question about. Ari Cowan is with us today, and as I said at the end of the last segment, he's ready. <laughs> I'm ready. The question, the question about um, um, the, the, this issue of our dark side or the issue of our uh, propensity or capacity for violence, I, I really understand that, and I understand the perspective. I've come to not believe it. I believe that as living entities, our natural state is to move toward life. And uh, it's so always been interesting to me ever since I was a kid that uh, evil was just live spelled backwards. So we either move towards life or we, uh, it's pretty hard to straddle it, or, or we move away. And like any living entity, our natural way is to move toward life. And that includes moving toward that quest to understand who we are and what our place is in the world. Now, that can be interrupted. And uh, so our, our natural way, I think, is to, is to be healthy. And we also encounter disease. We encounter trauma. We encounter toxins in our lives. But I don't, I don't think that's our natural um, way to be in the world. I think that way happens. So for me, uh, one of the things that... Uh, I find interesting is the belief, and I hear this a lot about men, that men are naturally 
violent. And there are big payoffs for that belief. One, one is then you get to keep the violence because it's natural. And I'm saying, no, it's not. We are naturally cooperative. We, in our natural state, we are loving and so on. And if you, if you look at how we're built, how we uh, are different than, say, reptiles, uh, where we have to carry our young, in, uh, our, our females carry the young inside the bodies. They don't lay eggs and, and, uh, and then walk away and they, they have to hatch and so on. And the length of time it takes for our young to mature sufficient, sufficiently to survive and so on. All of that points to this need to connect and nurture and so forth. And I think that's, that's our path. And I think we can have wonderful, exciting, challenging lives without violence. I think we can build great things. I think we are natural alchemists. We want to create things. We're naturally creative. And we're natural conquerors. We want to conquer ignorance. We want to conquer disease and so forth. I really believe that's where we are. And that really was the foundation for much of my work. And so when I go into this level 5 maximum security prisoner, I didn't. I, I worked with their staff who did the going in that um, we took that position and it seemed to validate that. We'll need more research to to see, but a, a lot of it, I think there's a lot to be said for expectation, what we expect of ourselves. And I think that uh, violence isn't one of the things we should. So, so does your power model include these uh, very integral and necessary exercises for getting in touch with one's real self? It, it does in some ways. It, it actually provides a framework uh, for that because there are so many great ways of doing that now that exists. It doesn't replace psychotherapy. It doesn't replace meditation or contemplation or anything like that. But it provides a framework under which those can can operate. It's I, I guess if I were to use a metaphor, it's a little bit like if you're doing surgery out in a rainy field, uh, what the PAR model is is a hospital where you can still do the same surgery, but now you, you don't have the temperature problems or the rain or anything else. So we don't replace the magic of... Uh, of people who are therapists or uh, are religious leaders or are educators or anything else. What happens is we change the description of this issue of violence and, and use new language to define it. And then the universe changes. Mm -hmm. And just like we did when we, we started discussing uh, disease as uh, having to do with microorganisms mm -hmm. instead of being punishment from God or something like that. It really changed the universe about how we saw things like uh, leprosy or, or anything else where people were shunned for it and so on. If you had one choice, let me continue this questioning, one choice of putting the PAR model, I, I know you used it in the prison with great success, mm -hmm. and I'm really proud of that, but suppose you had a choice of placing it only in one place, where would you place it as That's a priority? really an interesting question. I think if I were to place it anywhere, I would place it in the hands of those that were preparing to have children because we we grow these crops of ourselves and uh it's interesting what we get in in my family tradition uh like many americans uh that were driven over here uh, and and Mar americans come from every nook and cranny of the earth and uh, experience a lot of trauma and so on and that trauma was telegraphed through until it finally got stopped and i look at the difference between my generation and my grandkids and i uh, you may have this disquieting feeling sometimes too when you when you see the young people and you realize i may not be qualified to know these people they're really wonderful people and they're happy and they're exploring and everything and they didn't go through what uh, people like my father did 
which was just uh, horror at, at, at inheriting this trauma from before. So I think the, the real investment is in uh, uh, life from, human life from the get-go and then constantly questing uh, for uh, that those answers to the questions we talked about earlier, the three, what I call the ontological questions. So you're saying the PAR model is not just for people who are uh, engaged in suffering from that difficulty and, and engaging in violence, but for everybody, really. Well, yeah, and what we've done, we've, 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 we, I picked violence because everybody could see it. What the real issue is, is about human power. And the human power to love, the human power to have compassion, the human power of integrity, of honesty, and so on. What we call virtues. And then the disempowerment that comes from their, uh, uh, those things that are the antithesis of those things like lying and, and cheating and, and, you know, all that, kind of, all that kind of thing. Which has the promise of quick power, but then always uh, comes back and hits you. It's interesting to ask anybody in prison, you use violence as a strategy to get power and control. How's it going? You're in here. Not, not working well. So human beings need to have that power of connection, the power of love, and so forth. And if they can't get healthy power, they'll move towards unhealthy power. So the issue isn't stopping them from being violent, I don't think so much, as getting them the healthy power so that violent is uh, irrelevant. And so that's why we, we have a variant of the model. I have a variant of the model called the Integrative Power Management Model, which is simply the power, mo uh, the power model without the violence put in it you know, dealing with the violence. So the violence is the extreme expression of that experience of powerlessness. So our job is to help people have that, uh, arrive at that place in their own to experience healthy human power. Aria, uh, another question relating to the role of men and violence. I've often wondered whether our patriarchal society, which is what, four or five thousand years old, something like that, we're still in one. What that has to do with the need to preserve the male, the masculine ability to be in control, to have be, to be powerful, and the fear of not being those things, and what that does to our tendency to override that natural tendency to violence and become something we don't even want to be. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, good question. Uh, one of the observations I make all the time is that if we knew who we truly were and are. Uh, we wouldn't do the terrible things we do to each other. And, and, and as far as men, it's interesting the roles we take in order to belong, in order to fit. And we talk about male power, and yet in 1922, the age difference between females and males' uh, longevity was one year. And now it's seven years. Males die, die er, earlier than females. Uh, if you think of a phrase that's so natural for us, which is women and children first. What does that mean? So where is the power, really? And it's an interesting, uh, if you read Warren Farrell's work, um, he, uh, Warren Farrell was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women, and he talks about these roles that we took for the purpose of identity and moving toward life. And at the time, they seemed to work good. But one of the interesting things about consciousness is uh, the reality that you had at one point, as you become more conscious, becomes, becomes the illusion that you discover that, that, that reveals itself. And one of the, those illusions is this illusion of uh, the benefits of uh, male dominance, for example. It, 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 everybody will argue, I think, effectively that it cheats women. It cheats men like crazy. It cheats us like crazy. And so we become slaves to this, and it is a tribute to our collective rising up that we recognize this and are setting it right. Nobody's coming in from outer space to make us do it. We're doing it ourselves. 
I appreciate that. Ari, you raised three questions. You kind of alluded to them a moment ago, but three specific questions, which are really spiritual questions. They're questions all of us deal with. Uh, who am I? What's the nature of the world? And what's my place in it? Would you say something about the those particular questions? Yeah, I think those, yeah, I will. They're, for me, really important questions, and I watch people wrestle with them, uh, starting at a very early age. Uh, when I um, uh, asked my um, um, grandson, Sean Joseph, I, I, I'll say, now, are you a boy? And he'll say, oh, no, I'm a Sean. And uh, because his, that's really important. And then later, of course, if I were to ask him if he's a girl, he'll be outraged because it's how he ties his identity in. So he's he's beginning that process of thinking about who am I, uh, what's the nature of the world, and so on. When I know as it relates to violence that when people come to unhealthy conclusions about that, children who are badly abused, who have concluded there's something wrong with them. There's something terribly wrong with them, uh, that the world is a hateful and frightening place, and my place in it is to get even or to just try and survive or to uh, pay back what happened to people I cared about. Uh, those conclusions are really destructive. Uh, in the healthy sense, they, uh, it's fascinating to watch them evolve. It's like uh, children's idea of God. Uh, God is very anthropomorphic among children. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a man or a woman. You know, usually about, oh, 67 years old, a beard. Uh, in fact, kind of looks like you, Ted. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, I accept that. That's you're you're nice. only 29. but um, so And we see that evolve. So that evolution and that question about uh, are important uh, questions to ask ourselves. And those answers change as we move through our own growth and, and awareness. And those are the kind the kinds of questions that we ask <clears throat> on the spiritual path and that we're dealing with with our communities. Uh, I think all of us. We're about to take a break um, and uh, coming back for our final segment of looking at the natural or unnaturalness of violence with Ari Cowan who is, it appears, more an expert in nonviolence than in violence. Please give our sp sponsors a listen. We'll be right back. How healthy is your beauty salon? Mode Organic Salon is Seattle's premier organic beauty salon. Our trained professionals specialize in providing organic and natural hair, skin, nail, and cosmetic services customized to your specific attributes and lifestyle. Visit modeorganic.com or call 206-623-0195 to schedule. Mention the Dr. Pat Show and get 15% off your first service. For beauty that's more than skin deep, visit Mode Organic Salon. Hey, Julie, where have you been? Benny, I just returned from a fabulous seminar with Karen Ramsey, learning about how my relationship to money is holding me back from living the life I want. Well, I can't seem to save enough money to contribute to an IRA these days, but I think, you know, it's just too late to start now. Well, Benny, I see that you just bought yourself a latte this morning, and how many times a day do you do that? Uh, well, I'd say like two or three times a day, but I mean, seriously, what's your point, Julie? If you save the money you spend on just one latte a day, you'd easily be able to contribute $1,400 
$1,500 a year to your IRA. No kidding. Huh, I never thought about it that way. Well, Karen Ramsey says it's never too late to start, no matter where you are. And the sooner you start, the better. Well, you know, that's fine with people with money, but how can someone like me afford financial advice from someone like Karen Ramsey? Well, you don't need to be wealthy to get excellent financial advice. In fact, why not tune into her new show beginning October 12th and learn about the myths about money that keep us from living the lives we're meant to live. And visit her on the web at caringmoney.com. That's caringmoney.com. Okay, everyone, listen up. Dr. Pat brings you her favorite organic wines from the Organic Wine Company, direct to you for this limited time special offer. Would you like to enjoy the luscious taste of natural grapes grown with love for the land and tantalizing your taste buds at the same time? Well, Dr. Pat has selected three of her favorite wines for only $49, a 40% savings. Visit www.thedrpatshow.com and click on Dr. Pat's Picks for this special offer. Or you can call 1-888-326-9463. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't seem to get over this. Change results in loss with death in the family, divorce, or major illness. There's going to be grief. When you're feeling overwhelmed or like you just can't get through it alone, you can heal through grief counseling. You can call Sybil Lundy at Whole Life Counseling. For nearly 10 years, Whole Life Counseling has been a safe place to come to peace with life changes. Call 206-683-1561 or see my website at wholelifedesigns.com. 1150kknw.com, your connection to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. This is Interfaith Talk Radio. I missed the cue uh, coming into the last segment, so this time I had our engineer hit me in the shoulder um, as a gentle way of reminding me. We're here being violent with each other, talking about uh, nonviolence. Ari reminded me during the break that he is an expert not only in nonviolence, but also in violence. We suspected that one really can't be an expert in either of those without knowing about both sides of that spectrum. Before we continue, uh, Pastor Don um, has some uh, special tickets to give away. Right. The station has given us two pairs of tickets to the travel show, which is this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, January 27, 28th. Uh, and we'll give them to the first and second caller at 425-373-5527 or in Western Washington, toll-free, 888-298-KKNW. That's two pairs of trickets, tickets to the travel show this Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. Or trickets to the travel show. Or that'll something work. like that, yeah. Really, that'll work just as well. Um, uh, the last show, I got to give a few away, and now Pastor Don gets... Actually, two sets to give away. So. Yeah, and if and, we had a third show, Jamal will get three sets. Actually, Pastor Don will be away next week. That's right. Pastor Don will be away for the next few weeks. That's right. Um, Pastor Don is going in for some surgery next, actually, a week from, from today. today. Right. And what I normally do when I know somebody is going in for surgery is I write in my appointment book on the day they're going in. For, for example, Pastor Don... Pastor Don's surgery goes well, and he is healing. Inshallah. And all of us who are part of your life, Don, our, our prayers are with you, and our energies are with you, and we will be looking forward to welcoming you back. Your, your uh, recuperation period is going to be some weeks, right. so you will probably appear on the radio from home. Yeah. 
uh, calling in, and we look forward to that. Yeah. Thank you. Ari, we have a few more minutes to talk about uh, what we haven't yet gotten to. Okay. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention was these um, three questions of um, who am I, what's the nature of the world, and what's my place into it, are identity questions. And what I love so much about the interfaith approach is it helps us see our place in a world that's uh, rich with diversity and uh, opportunity and that and like in my case i've learned so much from um learning about other faiths and so on it just didn't mean i need to compromise my own but i think uh jamal was my first real experience of the muslim faith and there was so much that resonated in in what i heard and i knew some of the jewish faith and, and then hearing you speak and so forth and of course like uh, a lot of people came out of the christian tradition well it helped me uh, these lessons that had developed over hundreds and thousands of years that I, I haven't got hundreds or thousands of years uh, to work these out. So to have other people uh, work these out or to frame them in poetic ways or in ways where uh, I have to really uh, tap into myself or ways that resonate really helped me understand who I am and I think that's true for people who really uh, delve into this and I have then that experience of uh, healthy power I, I have that sense of belonging in the world I have that sense of uh, how things work and so in some measure I have a sense of mastery but also have a, an appreciation for the areas that I, I don't master and that it's okay and so violence isn't something I need to resort to because uh, the fear gets dissipated. All violence has its roots in fear, uh, except if it's neurologically based or something like that. But generally, violence has its roots into fear. Uh, you know, I, I think that in terms of the first question, I love all these three questions, but I think the first question, who am I? One of, that's one of the places where we, the three of us, connect completely because the answer, check me on this, Jamal and Ted is we are part of the one. In other words, there is no space. We are not individuals isolated from uh, the universe. We are part of something that actually can't be uh, divided, even though the, the sense of separateness can be felt and can be an illusion. But we come together in our work on the conviction that we are all part of the one, the holy one of being. And that suggest immediately not only community but the need to sustain community which can't be sustained uh, with violence there's wonderful verse by uh, Rumi when he talks about really finding out who you really are uh, which I love to repeat again and again when Rumi just uttered uh, he, he would say you are a ruby in the midst of granite how long will you continue to deceive us for we can see the look in your eyes. So please, return to the root of the root of the root of your real self. And, and Jamal, you know, every time I hear you say that, I, I love that because it suggests so clearly that our self-worth is a given. Mm. And yet we don't see it because it's either obscured by uh, the, the needs of the ego or the conviction that we're just not as good as we should be or that we that our failures have defined us or... Any one number of things yes. that drag us down and so forth. In fact, Rumi says the three reasons why we don't know who we are. Uh, he says, um, 
Uh, one reason is that we always judge ourselves and others by our outer reality, not by our inner reality. Mm-hmm. But you know, what car you're driving, what your profession is, how much money you have in the bank. That's our conditioned way of perceiving uh, somebody. Uh, secondly, uh, Rumi says, we received our essence, our soul, without uh, any work, freely. Does somebody who inherit wealth know the value of money? That's the second reason we don't quite connect to who we are. And thirdly, says Rumi, this is the mystery of our existence here. For doom to sleep that you might awaken. For doom to forget so you might remember. This mm. is the mystery of our journey. Yeah, mystery. And I think for, for me, when I hear that, it is so illuminating. For one thing, is it, it opens a possibility that I didn't know was there. And I go, oh, is that? And of course, the acid test is I ask myself, is that true for myself? And I've hit, uh, even though, for example, I'm not Catholic, but I would read um, Meister Eckhart, for example, and he had made a statement once that almost knocked me down and really helped me with the development of the PAR model. And um, the loose translation is to get uh, to the core of the divine at its most. One must first get to the core of oneself at one's least. For one no, can, no one can know the divinity of life without first knowing the humanity of the self. So that I... That the lights went on and I went, you know, I was rather hoping everybody else could find out who they were and just call me collect and I wouldn't have to do the work, but it looks like I'm going to have to do the work. And from that understanding and forgiveness and all of that, then I could have a foundation to begin doing uh, this work. And I, I really couldn't do it without it. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is, uh, uh, I can trace the roots of my work back into the influence of the people in this room and, and uh, people who have long since gone but left that that legacy. So right. I think this whole interfaith thing, it, to me, is a very big deal. What we get to watch in each other's traditions, and it helps us understand the models in our own tradition, are varying maps of the fullness of the nature of human being. And however it's put out, in Jewish tradition, they're like the rungs of being. Uh, the level to which one experiences oneself as an exclusive identity and the degree to which one experiences oneself as an inclusive identity. And there are different behaviors that become natural for each of those levels. You know, the more inclusive my identity, the more I absolutely understand just automatically that how I'm treating another person is how I'm treating myself. And the reality of the golden rule, whether it's stated well, it's stated in all of our traditions, is just clear. Nobody has to tell me a rule about how to behave. I need rules when I am seeing the world, viewing the world, experiencing the world through the exclusivity of, you know, my little uh, box of consciousness and uh, experiencing separateness, and I'm unable to get what's really going on here, so I need some protection and those protection come, protections come in the form of rules mm-hmm. and in the form of loving and compassionate friends who are able to see in me more than I can see in myself at those moments and not get pulled in. We are engaging at Interfaith Talk Radio in an expanding conversation of transcendence talking about the limits of ourselves, the ways in which our traditions support a fuller awakening. 
We're very appreciative to you, Ari. Ari Cowan has been our guest today, as he has been before. Ari is the founder and president of Edvita and the PAR model of violence prevention trainings. We'll see you next Monday. God bless you, Don. Healing to all who are in need. Happy birthday to you, Ted. Happy oh, birthday. Happy birthday. That's right. Yes. Okay. Happy post-birthday. No, no, tomorrow's his birthday. Oh, oh my goodness. See you next week. <laughs> yeah. Bye.